My name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here at Creekside. And because I'm on stage and my wife is here, our baby has not come out yet. Just going to public service announcement. Not yet. Any day now, but not yet. Just going to put that out there. Does that have anything to do with the message? No. But it does answer all your questions. I do have a question for you this morning, though. And I know I have asked this question before, but I want to ask it again because maybe, I don't know, your answers may have changed. How many of you enjoy the interview process? I hear laughter, so probably no. But you guys can actually, you know, say something back. Uh, how many of you enjoy the interview process? No, no, uh, that was a loud no. <laughs> oh, which side? That's a good one. Uh, the one that's like trying for the job. I think interviewing processes are fascinating. I personally kind of enjoy them. And by kind of, what I mean is I definitely get nervous and I overthink things. But it's such a fascinating process, right? They're asking you questions. You get to ask them questions. And then you find out if it's a good fit. Very weird, but I want to tell you about the worst interview of my life. The worst interview of my entire life. And no, it's not the interview here. Although it ranks pretty high, the one here, because my second interview, I think it was, Mark went and picked up Chipotle and dropped it getting out of his car. Then he dropped it coming into the lobby. So when he showed up with my bowl of Chipotle, um, it was messed up. It was mangled. I think I had half my food. I didn't tell him then, but I was super hungry going into this. And I got half the meal that I was hoping to get. That is not the worst interview at all. It's an interview I had in 2015 after I had been fired for being a liar at a ministry position and had been told that probably would never be in ministry and I truly believed that I would never be in ministry again. And I know that some of you know this story, but I want to tell it again. And this is a story of my interview at Camp Alta. And if I remember correctly, because it's been a couple of years and sleep deprived and a kid, uh, I cried on my way to this interview, cried. I remember being so emotional and being terrified of what could happen going to this interview. I didn't want to hear someone tell me uh, I wasn't meant for ministry. I didn't want someone to be rude to me because of my past. I didn't want someone to judge me for who I was and am. So going into the interview, I had so many different emotions. Warning for anybody going to a job interview, don't go into a job interview with lots of emotions. It doesn't go well. But I sat down for this interview, and it actually went decently well. For someone who was very nervous and deeply broken, then the interviewer, his name is John, asked me basically this question. Why is it that people say you come with a warning sign? And I told him, because I'm a liar. 
Now, right then and there, in my mind, the interview's over. There's no point to keep going forward. There's no point to talking anymore. There's no way I'm getting the job. What would be the point of continuing the interview? Well, the interview continued. And not only did it continue, a little bit later, John offered to walk around camp with me. And I remember thinking in my head, why is this man treating me so nicely? Why is he so willing to show me love and walk around camp with me? Well, a while later, and I'm not sure if it was in a passing conversation with him or I just straight up asked him why he did it. John said that the reason he walked around camp with me is because Jesus would have done it. And I've thought about that a lot in my life. I've thought about if Jesus would have done it, why wouldn't I? Because basically what he meant by saying that is that as a follower of Jesus, why am I not walking with someone who is deeply broken and in need of hearing the good news? See, I had thought I had disqualified myself from ministry. I thought my life was headed nowhere. But then one person saw me the way Jesus saw me. He saw me as a person who needed help. He saw me as a human and not as a terrible liar. John, in that moment, saw me the way Jesus saw me. Not as a sinner, but as a friend. Jesus sees us as we are, and he calls us to follow him. He sees our brokenness. He sees our sin. He sees the darkest parts of us, and he still loves us. Jesus is the friend of sinners. The passage we're looking at today shows us exactly that, that Jesus is a friend of sinners. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark 2. We're going to look at verses 13 through 17. Mark 2, 13 through 17. It says this. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of, I'm not going to try to pronounce that, sitting at the tax booth. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And Levi rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." Lord, as we dissect these words, as we dissect your scripture, I pray that we would calm our hearts, our minds, and our souls. Lord, I pray that our hearts and our eyes would be open to the fact that you 
sent your son to be friends of sinners, to be my friend, to be the friend of the people in here, and to be friends with people outside of here. Lord, may we recognize that Jesus was a friend of sinners, but he saw the outcasts, he saw the broken, he saw them, and he ate with them. May these words transform the way we see Jesus and the way we see others. In Jesus' name, amen. When we look at this section of scripture, it's easy to split it into two parts, verses 13 and 14, and then 15 through 17. Obviously, the first section flows into the second section, but if we look closer at this first section, I want to title it, Jesus Sees the Outcast. And when we look at verse 13, we see that Jesus wasn't in the city and said he was beside the sea. As Jesus often does, he was out in nature. Some commentaries say that Jesus was probably seeking a place for silence and solitude, but at this point, people were following him and just wanted to learn from him. I think, in all honesty, that Jesus knew the power of walking in nature with someone. Because another pattern we see throughout scripture is Jesus walking. Here we see Jesus is walking and teaching. Walking and teaching at the same time was a common practice of the teachers in Jesus' day. There was something powerful that happened when they walked together. And there is something powerful that happens when you walk with someone. You get to hear what's important to them. You begin to get an idea of who they really are and how they see the world. Walking, listening, and observing is how Jesus' disciples would have learned the ways of Jesus. And one thing the early disciples would have noticed is how Jesus sought opportunities. As he walked, he sought opportunities to love, heal, and inspire the people around him. So I guess we should be asking ourselves, are we living life at a speed that we are okay with or even seeking opportunities to share the love of Jesus with people? Because Jesus, in this passage, does exactly that. And it changes the trajectory of Levi's life. Now the fact that Mark here mentions Levi by name is interesting because one commentary I read this week said Matthew and the other ones said Levi. So I was deeply confused by this. So I went to the scholar on staff named Mark Bubing and asked him and he gave me his most educated answer and then he went and asked somebody else too. <laughs> and I think because Google told me and because the person that Mark asked said the same thing, that Matthew and Levi are the same person. Could be wrong, but that's what I think. But for the sake of this passage, we're just going to name this disciple as Levi because that's what it says. And Levi was a tax collector. This is very important to note because tax collectors were seen as the lowest of low. 
I'm being really serious about this. And one of the commentaries I read this week, it says, when a Jew entered the customs service or became a tax collector, he was regarded as an outcast from society. He disqualified as a judge or a witness in a court session, was excommunicated from the synagogue, and in the eyes of the community, his disgrace extended to his family. He was a very hated man. In another commentary, I read that Levi had betrayed his people, rejected his heritage, despised his temple, and renounced his God. The reasons for the extreme hate towards tax collectors was because many tax collectors asked people for excess of money. In other words, they had this set amount that they were supposed to take from people, but instead they asked for even more. And then what they would do is they would take that excess and put it in their own pockets. The tax collectors were rich because they taxed their people at an extreme rate. Levi was a tax collector near the sea, which meant the people that he taxed were probably fishermen. So Levi, more than likely, knew the fishermen that were following Jesus. In fact, those fishermen probably despised Levi. But Jesus called them all to follow him anyway. And as we see Levi's reaction to the call, we see that Levi left everything and followed Jesus. And I read this week that out of all the disciples, all of them, Levi is the one that had the most to lose by following Jesus. See, the disciples that were fishermen could go back to their fishing jobs. There's fish that needed to be caught. There's boats that they could get. They could get all the gear and they can continue to go on fishing. But Levi was a tax collector and once he left that job, it would never be available to him again. So Levi, knowing this, left that job to follow Jesus. Levi left because he recognized the importance of following Jesus. Jesus saw the outcast and called him to follow him. Jesus saw Levi as he was and as he could be. Jesus saw the person that society and the religious people of the day gave up on. Jesus saw the outcast, the brokenhearted, and the sinner. Jesus saw them and called them to himself. Maybe somebody in this room needs to know that this morning, that Jesus sees you as you are. He sees the brokenness and the darkness that is in your heart, and he still loves you. He still died for you. He died for the sin that you have done, are doing, and will do. He loves you so much that he bled for your sake so that you can experience the grace of God. And maybe someone here this morning needs to recognize that there is a person in their life that needs to know about that saving grace, that needs to know that there is a Jesus and a God that loves them so much that they sacrificed everything to show them grace. For me, a moment of that type of grace was felt when I got a phone call from camp. 
after the worst interview of my life, I got a phone call that I was not expecting. A phone call that said, Nathan, you got the job. I didn't deserve that job. And in my opinion, I didn't deserve a second chance. But God had other things in mind. I'm sure that Levi felt like he was an outcast. I'm sure that he felt like his own people hated him. He probably felt lonely. He probably felt like a sinner. He probably felt undeserving of the call of Jesus. But one thing we do know is that he left everything to follow Jesus. And not only do we know that, but we also know that after he experienced Jesus, he couldn't help but invite his friends to experience Jesus. He invited his fellow outcasts and sinners to eat and drink with Jesus. We see this in verse 15, where Jesus dines with sinners. And in my opinion, the ESV does a good job of explaining this story, but verse 15 is worded really weirdly to me. But the old school New King James Version says this. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. Upon reading this, it seems to me that once Levi became a disciple of Jesus, Levi wanted to invite everybody he knew over to experience who Jesus was. And if we look at the guest list, the tax collectors and sinners, they were the outcasts of society. They were despised by their own culture, and they were despised by the religious people of the day. And when they refer to sinners here, it could mean a variety of things. It could mean those who played fast and loose with life. It could be those who didn't follow the moral law of the Jewish culture. But it could also mean the people that didn't follow the scribal rules or laws of the religious people. These are the people that Levi wanted to experience Jesus. And we see here that Jesus and his disciples were reclining with them. Jesus and his disciples ate with tax officials and the common people. Jesus chose to sit with sinners, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, the Holy One of Israel, chose to sit and eat and drink with sinners. Jesus' method for reaching people with the good news was to sit with them and dine with them, to get to know them, to love them as they are, and then call them to himself. This is Jesus' evangelism, to sit with the broken, to sit with the outcast, to sit with the sinners and love them. And the religious people of the day could not fathom what Jesus was doing. To them, Jesus was offensive. To them, Jesus was sinning himself by the company that he kept. 
In other words, guilty by association. In their opinion and culture, you should not hang out with anything or anyone that could cause you to become unclean, cause you to become filthy. These are what the religious people of that day believed. But let's be honest with ourselves for a second. Are we any different? How are we supposed to reach our neighbors and the quote-unquote sinners in this world if we don't invite them around our table? In this story, the religious people of the day were being judgmental hypocrites, pointing the fingers at sinners. They refused to acknowledge and rejoice in the repentance of Levi. They refused to see the fact that the Messiah came for those that are broken and in need of a savior. Instead, they sought to ask the disciples of Jesus, why does this man eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus responds in a beautiful way with a proverb. And this proverb would have been known to the Pharisees. They would have known what this proverb meant. And Jesus said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The Pharisees would have been offended by what Jesus said to them. But they would have missed the point. The Pharisees failed to realize that they should have been pursuing the sinners and bringing truth to them. And they failed to realize that in their hypocrisy, they were sinners themselves and in need of a great physician. Jesus used this proverb to show them the heart of a follower of Jesus. And at first glance, when we hear this proverb, we think to ourselves, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus doesn't like righteous people? But I want us to look at this proverb in light of two other verses. The first one is Matthew 5, 3, and the other one is Romans three ten. And these verses state this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. None is righteous. No, not one. I bring these verses up because Jesus was trying to show them and us that there is no one righteous but him. Yet he is also trying to show us that it is those that admit they are sinners and in need of a savior that inherit the kingdom of God. Because we are all saviors and in need of of a savior. And this is the beautiful thing about life. We are all one decision away from the great physician. Those who continually sit with Jesus, the one who is able to purify us from the inside out one step at a time. But to do this well, we have to learn from these verses. To do this well, we have to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what Jesus is really saying here. And I believe there are three ways we can apply these verses to our lives today. The first one is don't be a Pharisee. The second is recognize that you need Jesus 
And the third is be like Levi. Don't be a Pharisee. The Pharisees and religious people of that day and today make their walk with Jesus something religious and law-like rather than a relationship. When we make our walk with Jesus into a list of rules or laws and we project that on other people, we live dangerously close to legalism. Now, I want you to listen carefully because we are called to set apart, to be set apart. We are called to listen to the words of God and follow the words of God. But we are also called not to judge. We are called to love sinners. We are called to pray for our enemies. Gossip, slander, judgment, pushing people away because they are sinners, that is not the way of Jesus. Let's not become like the Pharisees. Instead, let's recognize that we deeply need Jesus. There is no one that is perfect. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And please recognize that these verses are for you and me. We are the outcasts, the sinners, and the brokenhearted. But so are your neighbors, so are your coworkers, and so are your family members. We all need Jesus because only through him can we experience the grace of God. This entire story, these verses in Mark show us our need and the supreme example of the grace of Jesus Christ. A grace that is so transformative that it leads us to invite others to experience the same freedom, forgiveness, and love that we have experienced which is why we should be like Levi. Because Levi experiences Jesus and then immediately invites his friends and other, series, or other sinners to come and experience this Jesus. And we are called to show others the grace that Jesus has shown us. We all need to continually ask ourselves, who is it in your life that needs to know Jesus? Who is it in your life that you should invite around your table? And who is it that God is leading you towards? You have the power to be a light to those around you. There is no pressure, of course. I don't see here that Jesus was making Levi do this. But what we do see is that upon learning who Jesus is, Levi was quick to invite his friends. We must remember that we are sinners amongst sinners who have been saved by the grace of God. We will never be perfect, but each day we have an opportunity to live in the grace of God and spread that grace to the people around us because God's grace is transformative. The grace of God that was extended to me at Camp Alta from the staff, I will never forget. And as I have said many times, that summer radically changed my life. I will never forget getting hired there and wondering why God would allow a sinner like me to have that job. A man who was broken, an outcast, and a sinner. And yet Camp hired me and taught me what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. 
at camp, I learned what it meant to truly live in the grace of God. And although I, I continually will struggle with it, as you will too, I recognize that grace is a free gift. We don't deserve it, but God gives it to everyone. It is not our job to cleanse the people around us, but it is our job to sit with them, to get to know them, to love them, to show them who Jesus is in a way that is so loving. We all are on a journey of what it means to live in the grace of God, of what it means to our own hearts, what it means to our own souls, what it means to our neighbors and friends. For me, there was a moment in 2015 while I was at camp that now when I reflect on it shows me what the grace of God does. It wasn't during a chapel or reading my Bible or prayer. It happened while I was cleaning a pool. And if you ever cleaned a pool and you have to use one of those hoses, it sucks. <laughs> Especially when you have a bunch of little kids jumping in the pool that are super dirty. But that summer I saw all the dirt in the pool as I was cleaning it. And I saw the clean side on one side <laughs> and the dirt on the other side and I knew the pool was like my heart. I had hurt and manipulated so many people because of the lies that I had told. And yet the Holy Spirit and the grace of God was continually cleansing me. I just had to submit. I had to follow Jesus. I had to recognize that it's God's grace that saves me. Because I'm not a righteous person. I'm not. I'm a sinner in need of the grace of God. And so are you. And so are your neighbors, and so are your family members, and so are your coworkers. We all have a brokenness in us that only the grace of God can transform. And that is why we have to remember to not be like the Pharisees. We have to instead remember and recognize our need for Jesus. And we should be like Levi. Inviting those around us to experience the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. Don't hide that grace and truth. Instead, ask yourself, who is it in your life that needs to know who Jesus is? Who is it in your life that you should invite around your table? Who is it that God is leading you towards? Someone in your life right now needs to experience the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the friend of sinners. Jesus is the one that loves the brokenhearted and the outcast. And he loves you. So let's have the courage to be like Jesus and see the outcasts and eat with them. Let's have the courage to be like Levi and share the love of Jesus with others. So I want us to take a moment to close our eyes and pray and ask God, who is that one person? Who is that family member? Who is that family? Who is that person that you are leading me towards, Lord? 
Who do I need to sit with and learn about them? Let's close our eyes and pray. Lord, as we head into a time of worship, I pray that you would speak to us. Give us a name. Give us a face. Help us see who we should be praying for. Help us see who we should invite into our homes. Lord, I pray for those in this room that need to see that you invite them to your table. Lord, I pray for those in this room that feel like outcasts, that feel brokenhearted, that, that feel like there's no way you, God, can love them. Lord, I pray that your grace will become real to them. they would recognize that you love them so much no matter what they're doing, you love them. Lord, I pray that they would know that you are a God of grace and love that simply calls them to follow you. Lord, help them recognize that your forgiveness, your grace, and your mercy, and your truth are available to them. And Lord, help us have the courage that Jesus had to see the outcast. Help us have the courage to invite them to our tables. Lord, help us be like Levi, willing to leave everything to follow you. And also willing to invite all his friends to experience that same love. Pray these things in your son's name.